you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the California Underground. I'm your host, Phil. Lots to talk to or talk about this week, as there always is so much to talk about. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the Mueller Report and what's going on with that. We're going to touch on upon it a little bit. What's going on with Jesse Smollett? What's going on with Gavin Newsom? Why is he down in El Salvador acting like uh, a foreign dignitary or a foreign head of state, which he... He really isn't, so we're going to get into that as well, but let's start with our out-of-the-gate monologue, and the topic of this week's out-of-the-gate monologue is being a liberal means you never have to say you're sorry. So being a liberal means you never have to say you're sorry. This past week, we've seen the absolute mental breakdown of leftists across the country. The Mueller report came out, and just like that, two years of pontificating and speculation salivating at the notion that once the report was finished, that President Trump would be led from the White House in cuffs, followed by everyone in his family and administration. And then, like champions, leftists would be able to crown Nancy Pelosi Madam President. Now, this isn't me being just hyperbolic or fantastical. This actually happened. There were articles about Madam President Pelosi. You can Google it and find them. Night after night, broadcasters from different networks would state again and again with conviction how, quote, the walls were closing in on President Trump, and he could feel it. They said it so much it became their reality, and sadly, they lost grip on that reality when the summary of the report stated there was no collusion. Nada. Zilch. Now, would you think that in the face of such an overwhelming defeat that leftists would take a step back and maybe evaluate how bad their reporting was? that maybe they would think about what they did to the country by disseminating such fake news that caused hysteria? Nope, not in the least. Instead, they doubled down. Joe Reid says the report stinks of cover-up, that somehow President Trump's hand-picked Attorney General Barr covered up for him. They They want to see the full report, they scream. There must be evidence in there to impeach him. This behavior is not isolated, though. Look at what happened with Jesse Smollett this week. He got off with a slap on the wrist for 16 felonies. There are people locked away in Chicago who are serving much more serious time for less, and Smollett walked away with not an ounce of punishment. If you consider the $10,000 bond he already paid, plus the 16 hours of community service he already served with Jesse Jackson as punishment, then maybe he got away with but I don't count that as punishment. Do you think Smollett would graciously leave town and thank his lucky stars that he got off so easy and isn't spending the rest of his life in prison? Nope. He and his attorneys are now doubling down on the idea that he was really a victim of a real attack. Maybe he thought they were white because they disguised themselves in whiteface, says his attorneys. They just won't give up on the idea that Smollett was a victim in all of this. And to add insult to injury, Smollett now says he's going to sue the city of Chicago for slandering his good name with this investigation. Talk about losing grip on reality. And therein lies the rub of all of this. Leftists never say they are sorry. They never engage in self-reflection. They create a warped reality they wholeheartedly believe in and never let go. This is what makes them so incredibly dangerous. They never let go of their warped reality. You can try to argue in their paradigms, but you get 
you're going to get lost in the weeds because up is down and down is up. Nothing makes sense. It only makes sense when it comes out of a leftist mouth. They set the parameters and it's futile to try and debate them in their world. Your facts don't matter in their world. They're irrelevant and can be dismissed with another false statement from their mouths. Of course, the question is, how do we combat this? Well, we have a very good leader in the White House right now. And we do it exactly how President Trump does. He ridicules them. He dismisses them. He doesn't engage with their, what he likes to call them, fake news. He plows ahead with his vision and his argument. And it's hard for leftists to argue against him when he has facts and reality on his side. The farther left they go, the more we have to hold on to our ground in reality. Following them down the rabbit hole only gets us lost and confused, with a good chance of their deranged queen lopping off our heads. So stick to the facts and the reality, and never say sorry for holding steadfast in the real world. Now obviously, uh, there was a lot of fallout alluded to two subjects that I want to talk to about in the national news this week. It's the fallout from the Mueller report. It's crazy. It's crazy to see, like I mentioned in the model, that there are still leftists and there are people in the broadcast news like the mainstream media and MSNBC and CNN. And uh, I mentioned Joy Reid was one of them. But people are screaming that they need to see the full report and they don't fully believe that President Trump is actually innocent. They didn't step back and say, well... Maybe it's time for us to consider, maybe we were wrong. Maybe we got bad intel. Maybe the people we got information from, maybe we shouldn't get information from them anymore. No, instead, they keep going back to the same people. They go back to Adam Schiff. They go back to John Brennan. They go back to John Clapper. They go back to all these treasonous little people, and they say, well, what's your take on the Mueller report? What's your t- Do you think there's possibly more evidence obstruction? Which I don't really understand how you obstruct justice for a crime that never happened, but... I mean, that's the legality of it, and I'm sure we'll see that when the full report comes out, which it's supposed to come out, I guess, mid-late April. Um, And that's because they actually have to sit down and redact a lot of the stuff, and they want the full report right now. And they're trying to spin the fact that you actually have to redact it because there are confidential sources, confidential methods in there, and you can't just give the whole thing to the American people because... Uh, it has some stuff in it that we're not really supposed to see uh, just for confidential reasons. I know you're probably saying, well, what about transparency? It just, there are confidential things in there that they have to redact. But regardless, they're trying to spin this that AG Barr is actually trying to hide it, that he won't release the report. Well, of course he's not going to release the report because he actually has to figure out what he needs to redact from it. He's following the law. They want him to break all laws and all ethics and all regulation, uh, regulations to release this report right now. But they're spinning it into, why isn't A.G. Barr releasing the report right now? What does he have to hide? What is he going to go back and scrub from the report? So they're going to turn anything they can into some sort of conspiracy. They still have their tinfoil hats on. They still believe somehow Trump is guilty of something. Maybe they don't really believe he's guilty of collusion anymore, so they're going to go with the obstruction thing. Maybe did he obstruct justice? Even though he was clear to that from AG Barr. Now, I get it. The whole... This is what drove me nuts, is that people 
like Kamal Harris has been saying this. Other people have been saying the same thing. They must get their same talking points from the same exact place. She's been going out saying, we need to see the report and see what maybe uh, Trump's handpicked attorney general covered up for him in the report. Of course he's handpicked. Where do you get this idea that handpick is the wrong, that he's not supposed to be handpicked? Was Trump supposed to create a committee that was out of his control and have the committee decide who his AG was going to be? This has been the tradition since the beginning of the country that the president gets to pick people in his cabinet. So I don't know where this idea of he's handpicked by the president. Well, of course he's handpicked. What was he supposed to do? Uh, just like Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch, they were handpicked by President Obama. So since when is handpicked a negative term? I mean, I could see if handpicked was in relation to maybe it had a conflict of interest or some there was supposed to be some nonpartisan uh, position that Trump handpicked him to benefit his own good. But of course he's going to handpick someone that he likes or someone that he believes is going to do a good job and believes in his vision. That's what a president is supposed to do. So there's there's all this muck and that they're never going to stop. They're going to keep going with this. They're going to keep pushing for this and they're going to try and find as much as possible. And they've been they in a futile, futile attempt. They tried to get Adam Schiff, the Republicans in Congress on the House uh, Intelligence Committee, tried to get Adam Schiff to resign from chairman, which he would never do because that would be asinine for him to do so and step down and we need to admit that he's wrong and we know Adam Schiff isn't going to admit that he's wrong so why would he ever step down but if you for all the people out there who are celebrating the fact that this report came out now we're going to have a couple more weeks of pontificating and more people theorizing conspiracy theories of what's in the report it's going to be 24 7 what's in the report wait wait why can't we get the full report what are they hiding in the full report and we're going to get a couple more weeks of that until that comes out. And if you think that's going to end it, it's not going to end it because it's going to keep going. They're going to keep figuring out what are they going to talk about next. They're going to jump onto something else. Maybe it's the Southern District of New York. Maybe it's why Trump isn't going to release his tax returns, which we'll get to in a bit. That actually has a story in California. So they're going to keep pontificating and pushing this. It, it doesn't end here. It's good for... The people in the middle, the people who were sort of undecided about President Trump or this uh, or anybody who supports them or is anti-leftist. Because now the people who are actually grounded in reality can look at this and say, well, there's no collusion. Well, I, you know, leftists will run out. Well, no, but maybe he obstructed justice and then it can come out that he didn't obstruct justice. So, uh, well, maybe there's something as tax returns. Uh, sooner or later, they keep going farther and farther and farther down the rabbit hole to the point where they're just raving lunatics and hopefully no one believes them anymore and we can be done with the far left wing of the Democratic Party. But speaking of another person who doesn't seem to grasp reality is Jussie Smollett. And I don't want to talk too much about this. I just think, well, actually, I'm going to talk a bit about it because it, it, to me, it, it, was, it just flabbergasted me as someone who works in the legal arena, that this was so ham-handedly dropped that the fact that it was so blatantly a bad call and that they knew they were going to get backlash 
but they did it anyway. I mean, you have Rahm Emanuel, the far-left Obama acolyte, who's running Chicago, who comes out and says, this is pretty bad, what you guys just did. You just dropped charges, all 16 of them, for no apparent reason. He gave up his $10,000 bond that he put up, and he already served, and they said, well, he, uh, in light of the fact that he already served community service with the Reverend Jesse Jackson for 16 hours, uh, that means that he can walk free. I don't think that's how you work. It doesn't mean if you if you volunteered in the past, you can put that towards community service after you get charged for a crime. And usually if you get charged for a crime and you enter into a plea deal, a plea deal means, well, I actually, uh, I admit that I was guilty, uh, but I'll do community service for 300 hours or so to avoid jail time and I'll be on probation. That's how it works. You don't get to drop all charges, say he's innocent, and then also turn around and say, but he served this community service and he's going to give up his $10,000 bond. If you're innocent, you don't give up stuff. If you're guilty, you give up stuff. That's usually how our system works. If you're innocent, you don't get to just say, if you're innocent, you walk free. That's it. You don't owe the state anything. If you're guilty, then you owe the state something, some sort of reparations to society. And that includes community service. Does that include some sort of criminal uh, penalty, some fine for what you did? But to just have him walk away after that threw a lot of people off. And a lot of people were obviously scratching their heads about the whole thing. And uh, one, one, uh, one group, the Illinois Bar Association of Prosecutors, asserted this. The Illinois Prosecutors Bar Association serves as the voice for nearly 1,000 frontline prosecutors across the state who work tirelessly towards the pursuit of justice. The events of the past few days regarding the Cook County State's attorney handling of the Jesse Smollett case is not condoned by the IPBA, nor is it representative of the honest ethical work prosecutors provide to the citizens of the state of Illinois on a daily basis. The manner in which this case was dismissed was abnormal and unfamiliar to those who practice law in criminal courthouses across the state. Prosecutors, defense attorneys, and judges alike do not recognize the arrangement Mr. Smollett received. Even more problematic, the state's attorney and her representatives have fundamentally misled the public on the law and the circumstances surrounding the dismissal. They go on, when an elected state's attorney recuses herself from a prosecution, Illinois law provides that the court shall appoint a special prosecutor. Typically, the special prosecutor is a neighboring state's attorney, the attorney general, or the state appellate prosecutor. Here, the state's attorney kept the case within her office and thus never actually recused herself as a matter of law. Additionally, the Cook County State's Attorney's Office uh, falsely informed the public that the uncontested sealing of the criminal court case was mandatory under Illinois law. This statement is not accurate. The appearance of impropriety here is compounded by the fact that this case was not on the regularly scheduled court call, the public had no reasonable notice or opportunity to view these proceedings, and the dismissal was done abruptly at what has been called an emergency hearing. To date, the nature of the purported emergency has not been publicly disclosed. The sealing of a court case immediately following a hearing where there was no reasonable notice or opportunity for the public to attend, is a matter of grave public concern and undermines the very foundation of our public court system. And then one more thing. 
The state's attorney has claimed this arrangement is available to all defendants and is not unusual or uh, not new or unusual practice. There has even been an implication it was done in accordance with a statutory diversion program. These statements are plainly misleading and inaccurate. This action was highly unusual, not a statutory diversion program, and not in accordance with well-accepted practices of state attorneys-initiated diversionary programs. The IPBA supports diversion programs and recognizes the many benefits that provides the community, the defendant and the prosecuting agency. Central to any diversion program, however, is that the defendant must accept responsibility. To be clear, this was simply not a deferred prosecution. The actions of the state, the Cook County State's attorney have fallen woefully short of this expectation. Through the m- repeated misleadings and deceptive statements to the public on Illinois law and the circumstances surrounding the Smollett dismissal, the state's attorneys has failed in their most fundamental ethical obligations to the public. The IPBA condemns these actions. So we'll see if uh, sanctions are going to be on the way. Uh, a former, I, I, be- I believe, deputy state attorney was on Laura Ingram and said that she could be facing 20 years in prison for doing what she did. Um and who I'm talking about is state attorney Kim Fox, who was sort of at the head of all this. And, and she kind of she raised a lot of eyebrows because of the fact that she and uh, Jesse Smollett are both very good friends with Senator Kamala Harris, who is now running for president. And they're also very and there was also this purported email that was sent from the former chief of staff, Michelle Obama, to uh, state attorney Kim Fox to say, well, we want to talk about how this is all playing out. So if you, we could set up a time to talk about this. And we have grave concerns about how this is going. Now, I don't know. I, I, I haven't heard of many private citizens being able to call up the prosecutor or a state attorney and say, well, we have grave concerns about where this is going. So we'd like to sit and talk with you about it. State attorney should say, that's I'm sorry you have grave concerns about it, but it's not my job to listen to you. But I guess she, we're going to find out what happened because she, she got the email and then a couple days later, or a week or two later, all the charges were dropped. Do I want to get into the conspiracy theories of maybe what happened? Um, yes, she was a, a Soros girl uh, who he did donate $408,000 to her campaign. Here in San Diego, there was another candidate who was trying to get into the San Diego District Attorney's Office who was supported by Soros. Thankfully, she did not get in. Um, it just goes to show you that this is what happens when any of those Soros candidates get into office in a district attorney's or prosecutorial manner. I don't want to dive down too many conspiracy rabbit holes. There are people who say that there's a connection between Kamala Harris, Jesse Smollett, and the fact that she signed this modern, uh, what is it, modern day lynching bill. I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole that they're trying to cover all this up, but who knows? It's very suspicious because to go, all of a sudden go completely against standard ethical practices to completely go against standard uh, legal practices in the state attorney's office. It it raises a lot of eyebrows. And the worst is now there is intense scrutiny on what she did and what she's trying to get away with. So letting him off was probably the absolute worst thing because now she's falling on her sword and she's going to have to face a lot of investigations. And there's probably going to be people who are looking into what she was doing. Chicago police, who were absolutely furious, dumped all the information they could before the records were sealed so that people can scroll through them and and figure out what the hell happened. 
So there's a lot going on. This story is not dead. We thought he was arrested and that was it. Uh, it was a good letter by uh, Pierce Morgan. And uh, he's talking about, he's kind of writing to Jesse Smollett himself. And I want to read you a little excerpt from it. <coughs> but I would like to make an apology instead to Smollett himself. And it's this. I'm truly sorry that I was so complimentary about him. In fact, I wish I had gone in much harder. For the truth is, Smollett wasn't content with just perpetuating an act of wicked deception that grabbed global headlines and made a mockery of real victims of racial or homophobic attacks. No, he had to go a step further even than that and pretend he's been completely exonerated of any wrongdoing and is once again the victim. Not just of the original attack, but now of a terrible slur against his good name and reputation. By doing this, he has confirmed himself to be a truly despicable human being. It takes a rare kind of execrable douchebag to invoke his mother, God, black history, justice, equality, and the betterment of marginalized people as he brazenly lies about being cleared over an incident that did unbelievable damage to justice, equality, and marginalized people. So, a little scathing from Piers Morgan. He does sort of like to jump back and forth. Um... I guess that's probably why he's widely disliked is because he seems to always go back and forth between the right and the left. But that's what I have to say about Jesse Smollett. It's odd. It's crazy from a legal standpoint as someone who does work in the legal industry, who's someone who has worked in the DA's office before. This does seem a little weird. It does seem a little weird how this whole arrangement came about and how, how that was what was the uh, predecessor of him getting off. But let's just be clear, between this and other things that have been going on with the college admissions scandal and stuff like that, it it, it ties into this whole idea of why people are getting really frustrated in this country, why the working class and the middle class people are starting to get really frustrated. They're starting to go one polarized end of the political spectrum or another, why you have a rise of socialism, why you have a rise of far right It's because you have this belief that there is a different class of people in America. With the college admissions, we'll see how far that goes. Does anybody serve time? I doubt it. I bet you Lori uh, Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman, they'll probably roll on everybody so they get a nice little deal. They got pretty good lawyers. But with this Jussie Smollett thing, uh, it, it, it... makes a lot of people really angry. It makes people angry because it seems that there's a different set of rules for one group or another group in America. If you're a celebrity, if you're rich, if you're well-connected, if you know the Obamas, if you know Senator Kamala Harris, if you know the right people here in America, there's a different class. You're either part of the elite, you're either part of the, the power circle, or you're not. And that's why I believe there's a big divide growing in this country. That is why there's a lot of social unrest in this country. There's a a common thread that keeps weaving through all these stories about who gets away with what. Now, Hillary Clinton, obviously, in 2016, with the whole email scandal and stuff like that, I mean, that's just one example. But we're starting to see that people, there are certain rules for certain people. If you're well-connected, you get off scot-free. And that's why there's a divide. And that's why people get upset about this. At least with Lori Loughlin and the college admission scandal, yeah, they actually did get arrested. They had to show up in court. Jesse Smollett, though, 
the evidence was overwhelming. The fact that he had these two guys, these two uh, Nigerians that he hired to actually perpetrate the attack. They actually practiced. They rehearsed it as if they were actors on uh, after you're actually working on the set of Empire. He actually bought the supplies for them. They have the receipts for it. He paid them in, in a check, which was idiotic. If you're going to commit a crime, don't write a check where people can trace you, pay cash. Everybody knows that. But um, the, 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 uh, the evidence was overwhelming, and he still got off scot-free. So we'll see if the feds jump in. I know President Trump has alluded to the fact that maybe the FBI is going to look into this. He did commit some sort of mail fraud, which is a big deal. He did mail himself a, a threatening letter. I, was there, I think there was white powder in it as well. So sending you, even if you're sending yourself a terrorist threat, is still a terrorist threat through the mail, which is under federal jurisdiction. Therefore, the FBI can jump in and start to take a look at that. Now, just because he's dismissed of all charges in the state doesn't mean he's actually dismissed of all charges on the federal level. So there's stuff, it's not over for Jesse Smollett. And again, don't poke the bear. That's another thing. If you get off scot-free, don't turn around to the city of Chicago and threaten to sue them for slandering. That's even more idiotic. You would think, you would think to yourself, wow, I got off scot-free. I'm going to get the hell out of Chicago. And I'm never going to come back because I, I don't ever want people to see me in Chicago again. No, instead he says, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and sue the city of Chicago. Okay, have fun in that discovery phase. Bring that on. Let's, let's start that discovery phase. Let the city of Chicago put discovery requests on you. Put you under deposition. I guarantee you it won't be pretty. See, people always seem to forget that when you, when you sue somebody, the other side gets to look into everything you're alleging. Pretty deeply, may I add. That's that phase called discovery when you start the lawsuit and then between that and trial, it's called discovery. It's when you discover all the evidence that you're alleging or the lack thereof the evidence. So, And the problem is when you're under deposition or you're under oath, after you have to answer questions and interrogatories. It puts a little bit more pressure on you. To, you have to say the right thing. So I don't know if he understands that doing that is, is a good idea. But that's what's the biggest thing going on with the national news. Um, there is this Joe Biden thing that just broke Joe Biden inappropriately touching a woman. Uh, I forget what her name was, but... Uh, she's talking about how one day they were, they were at a swearing. And it was some ceremony. And he grabs her from behind and was smelling her hair. And then he laid a little kiss on the back of her neck. I don't know who's trying to take down Joe Biden, to be honest. Or are they trying to get the, they're trying to bleed this out before the campaign starts and see the reaction to it. I don't know if it's a good idea because there's pictures, there's videos of, of Joe Biden being incredibly inappropriate and creepy and grabbing women. Looks like without their consent, even little girls. So... I don't know who's trying to destroy Joe Biden. Joe Biden might be the best shot they have against Trump. Not, I wouldn't say it's a great shot. But someone's trying to destroy him, which, fine, that's, that's all fine by me because if he is the best shot against President Trump and you knock off the guy who has the best shot against President Trump, okay. What are you going to do, Beto O'Rourke? 
Beto O'Dork, who served his wife a turd as an avocado. You know, so how about Kamala Harris when all this stuff comes out about Jesse Smollett? Who knows? It gets crazier and crazier every week. And like I said, buck off for the ride with the Democratic primary. It might be more wild than the uh, Republican primary. Because at least in the Democratic primary, you got how many people who were crazy. Republican primary only had President Trump, who was really kind of stirring things up. And everybody tuned in just to see what he was going to say. But now you have how many potential crazy people who are just going to say the craziest stuff that comes to mind. So... Stay tuned on that front, what they're doing to Joe Biden, what they're trying to do to Joe Biden. Are they trying to knock him out? Who's behind it? That's a big question. So now at the California news, I alluded to this uh, before, and it's about Trump and his tax returns. And this article was in the Fresno Bee, and it's entitled, If Trump Wants to Get on the California's 2020 Ballot, He Might Need to Release His Tax Returns. So another interesting... uh, idea from a California legislator. It says, under Senate Bill 27, presidential candidates from all parties, keep that in mind, all parties, would need to publicly disclose the last five years of their tax returns if they want to have their name on the state's primary ballot. Former Governor Jerry Brown, who didn't release his own tax returns, vetoed the same proposal in 2017, warning it, quote, may not be constitutional, unquote, and could set a, quote, slippery slope precedent. State Senator Mike McGuire, a Democrat from Hellsburg, called Brown's veto, quote, hogwash, and is reintroducing the bill in hopes Gavin Newsom will sign it. Newsom has promised to be the first California governor to release his tax returns annually. If Hillary Clinton had done this, we'd be having the same conversation right now, McGuire said. This bill is solely focused on providing voters the information they need to make an educated, uh, educated decision. Public opinion shows that the vast majority of people want to see Trump's tax returns. In the months leading up to the 2016 presidential election, 74% of American likely voters, including 62 Republicans, said in a Quinnipiac University poll that Trump should release the information. Nearly three-fourths of adults surveyed after the election in Washington Post agreed the president should disclose his tax records. Take note, it's a Quinnipiac in the Washington Post. Two far-left-leaning uh, pollsters, but I digress. And one was taken right after the election, which was almost three years ago. So, a whole different story now. Uh, candidates who are serious about holding the highest office in the nation should be transparent about their personal financial interests, Secretary of State Alex Padilla added. The American people have a right to know about the commander-in-chief's potential conflicts of interest. For years, candidates for president from both parties released their personal tax returns. Despite the public's desire for candidates to release their tax returns, it remains to be seen whether California can legally force Trump's hand. If the bill is signed into law in the coming months, McGuire said he would expect a legal challenge from Trump. State Senator John Murlock, a Republican of Costa Mesa, called McGuire's plan constitutionally dubious. He noted that it doesn't require the same statewide California candidates. McGuire said it isn't necessary for California elected officials to release their tax records since they are already subject to California ethics laws, unlike the president. The Democratic lawmaker acknowledged that California doesn't have the ability to dictate the terms of a general election, as the national political parties have that power. Still, he's adamant that states have the right to set the rules for candidates wishing to get their name on the state's primary ballots. California would not be where we were at today if the president would have upheld 40 years of tradition and released his tax returns, McGuire said. We're here today because the president has something to hide. 
I'm not really quite sure what that last part means, but again, it's more uh, conspiracy theorists. I guess the Mueller probe is now falling down, and this is part of what I was talking about in the opening gate monologue, or out of the gate monologue. If you don't think it's about the Mueller thing, it's going to be about Mueller. It's going to be about tax returns. Uh, they're going to move on to that. They're going to move on to the Southern District of New York and what's going on over there. But again, it's just California starting to believe that they have a little bit more importance than the rest of the country. Like as if California, because they keep throwing around, well, we're the fifth largest economy in the world, that they somehow are above the rule of federalism and how this works when you have state and the federal government. And you have a, a simple state senator who's trying to change national politics. Now, of course, what would be interesting is the fact that he's requiring all candidates to release their tax returns. So that means you'd actually have to have, like, let's say, uh, Bernie Sanders show how many taxes he dodged. Or we have to get to see uh, how many homes he owns and the taxes and property taxes he gets to pay on his three houses. Uh, or we get to see Elizabeth Warren, how much money she makes as a quote, retired or semi-retired professor from Harvard who and also senator. We get to see from Senator Kamala Harris, what does she make money off of? So all these ideas of, well, it's going to apply to all primary voters. Well, I would love to see all the Democrats come in into California releasing their tax returns for people to look through. And I've said this before. If you ask for Donald Trump's tax returns, it's going to be about a foot high and mostly no one's going to know what the hell's going on in it. It's going to involve a lot of complex tax tax issues. And why not? Because he probably has the best tax attorneys. He probably has the best CPAs. As a billionaire who owns multiple properties all over the world, he's going to figure out the loopholes. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not ashamed to say the fact that President Trump, and he said it himself. He said, I'm smart. When it comes to this stuff, he doesn't like the idea that billionaires can get away with this with loopholes and closing. That's why his whole tax cut idea is he's going to close a lot of those loopholes. He's going to give a tax cut, but he's going to get rid of a lot of loopholes and sort of backdoor things that a lot of billionaires and and the top 1% can get away with. But there's a lot of stuff in there that people won't understand when they go through President Trump's tax returns. And they want to do it so they can cherry pick stuff out of it and say, well, look, he has this property over here in, uh, I don't know, whatever country, and, and it's related to this. And then they, they can go back down the, the rabbit hole again. But if they want to play by those rules, then great. I want to see Beto O'Rourke's tax returns. I want to see the fact that filing jointly that his wife is the big breadwinner because she's from a billionaire family. I want to see how Cory Booker went from the mayor of Newark to probably a multimillionaire overnight just because he's the senator now. I want to see all of this stuff. I want to see this out in the light. Why not? If, if that's such the big thing, well, if you're judged by your tax returns now, if that qualifies you or disqualifies you as a political candidate, then let's see him. Let's see all the Democrats. For the primary. Why not? Why Why do we have to wait till the general election to see who sees someone's tax returns? Shouldn't we make the decision based off of the primary? What if we have all the information during that time? Wouldn't you want to know it? <coughs> Would you want to know that Bernie Sanders only pays like 13% of his taxes? 
or 13% of his income to taxes. The guy who's all about 70% for everybody else only pays 13%. You know, there are some animals, all animals are equal, but some animals are just a little more equal than others. Is that not right, Bernie Sanders? Elizabeth Warren? In this case, there are some politicians, all people are equal, but in America, some people are a little more equal than the others, and that's usually Democratic politicians. I'd also love to see Gavin Newsom's personal tax returns. If you don't remember, we did a story about how Gavin Newsom bought a house out in some fancy uh, suburb, 45 minutes away from the governor's mansion because he doesn't want to live in the governor's mansion, so he went out and bought a $4 million house with cash. Love to see his tax returns, and I'd love to see the tax returns of that LLC that he likes to funnel money through. That LLC that he quotes is just a wine shop in San Francisco is now becoming a little bit more than just a wine shop. And somehow the wine shop purchased the $4 million home for Gavin Newsom and his family. It must be one hell of a wine shop to be able to take $4 million in cash and buy a home in California. So I'd love to see his personal tax returns and see not only his personal tax returns, but I also like to see that LLC that he's associated with. Because you know that he's smart enough and someone taught him the ropes. Don't put it all on your personal tax returns. Funnel all that stuff through an LLC. So then you can say, well, it's just part of business. And then no one's going to ever see the LLC's tax returns. You can actually, well, you can probably search them and probably find them online. That might be good for an upcoming podcast. Let's see if we can find Gavin Newsom's. If anybody knows how to do that and get the, get those to me, go find Gavin Newsom's uh, tax returns for his LLC. I don't remember the name of it. You're going to have to Google it. It's some sort of wine shop that he owns in the city of San Francisco. It's like a family wine shop that's been passed down from generation to generation. So it'd be interesting to see and dig through there and see what he's been up to with that LLC. And if you find it, Email it to CaliforniaUnderground at ProtonMail.com, which is also where you can email questions, comments, if you want to get a word in into the show, if you want me to talk about something. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you want to hear on this podcast, what we want to spread the word on. CaliforniaUnderground at ProtonMail.com. Um, last story of the day. Speaking of Gavin Newsom, we're going to make a nice little transition into Gavin Newsom, what's going on. Uh, Gavin Newsom is uh, having a nice little siesta down in Central America. Went on a little uh, trip down there for some reason because uh, state governors in the United States need to go have meetings with foreign dignitaries. I'm not sure why. That's not really the job of state governors is to go on these foreign dignitary meetings or to enact foreign policy. That's sort of the role of uh, the federal government. And usually the president is the head of foreign policy with different countries. But Gavin Newsom likes to think he's the president and ruler of California. So therefore, he gets to do whatever the hell he wants. Remember, he's uh, dictator Newsom. He encroaches farther and farther. If you, they say he's just warming up, folks. He's just warming up. Between the executive orders and everything else he's been up to, and now he's acting like he's already the president. This guy, uh, he's going to be something for four years, so buckle up. Uh, this article is from the American Thinker. Uh, pretty scathing article. It says, with 1.5 million illegal aliens from Central America rolling into the U.S., President Trump has declared an emergency in order to construct a badly needed wall at the border. 
And now he has threatened to shut the gaze of the border down, too, unless Mexico's government quits enabling the problem. It's a major issue, and a recent poll shows that many Americans want it dealt with as a top priority. And who should throw up, show up to throw a stick into the turning wheels but California's governor, Gavin Newsom? who's announced his first gubernatorial trip abroad to El Salvador for the purpose of, quote, lifting up our immigrant communities and understanding the root causes of migration. Here's the tell-all statement for it about uh, from the press. While the Trump administration demonizes those who are fleeing violence from Central America, California is committed to lifting up our immigrant communities and understanding the root causes of migration, Newsom said. I am looking forward to traveling to El Salvador in April to talk with the nation's leaders and activists while deepening the bond between our families and communities. One can just picture how this trip looks from the Salvadoran side of things. Here comes Big Daddy, the California governor, the gringo who's already laid out a banquet of goodies for Salvadorans in California. From free healthcare to free education to sanctuary state protections to enable illegals to work, Come in there supposedly to find out how we can offer even more goodies to Salvador's uneducated lower middle classes. The idea is to get even more of them to come over. Big Daddy comes down with the Santa sack full of goodies. From the Salvadoran perspective, his reception is likely to be warm from the Salvadoran government, which benefits largely from the remittances sent home by El Salvador's mostly illegal aliens, allowing it to finance itself and employ ever larger number of bureaucrats without having to house, educate, or medically care for its nationals. This is one reason why remittance economies tend to undervelop a country, according to the World Bank. Last year, in fact, that game was going full speed. El Salvador's remittance hit a record $5.47 billion. Literally one out of six Salvadorans now live in the U.S., and 680,000 of those make their home in benefit-rich California. Salvadoran politicians acting actually campaigned for office in California. Owing to the sizable number of Salvadoran voters, many of whom are here illegally, signaling that there's a lot of work to be had for the newest and least likely to be legal migrants in the states now, most of which is coming from California. Big California daddy coming in to scoop up more of the Salvadoran labor force may well prompt some anger and disgust in these quarters. Newsom doesn't care about any of that because that's economics and he's a leftist. Obviously, his mission is domestic to undercut President Trump's effort to control the border at a time of national emergency. With very large numbers of Salvadorans now planning to come to the U.S. without authorization, the technical infrastructure has emerged with the new and supercharged phenomenon on the caravans, aided also by the fact that the U.S. is legally powerless to stop them, so the numbers are projected to soar. Why not goose them a bit? It leaves the question on the table of what Newsom's plotting with these foreigners and why this isn't classified as subversion. Newsom's already signaled his strong support for, quote, sanctuary state policies, as well as pulled U.S. National Guard troops from the California border, creating a good entry port for the caravans on the long stretches of California's wide open border. This is in addition to all the free health care, housing, education, driver's license, and legal privileges he set up for the Salvadorans and other illegal migrants. What more can he offer? He's met with the farthest of the far-left Salvadoran, quote, community leaders. Oh, there's that word again, community leaders. Excluding any reasonably-minded Salvadorans, and now he's going out to El Salvador to find out how. It's nothing but a bid to trawl for votes, legal or otherwise, since legality no longer seems to matter to California's ruling class. 
It's worth noting that Newsom has already pulled this stunt once before, shortly before he was sworn into office, right when President Trump shut the border last November. As it was reported uh, by Politico, as President Donald Trump threatens to shut down the Mexican border access and demands $5 billion from Congress to build a wall, Governor-elect Gavin Newsom, Attorney General Xavier Bacera and state lawmakers are heading to Mexico City this week to celebrate the inauguration of Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador. The message? The country's most populous state wants to work with Mexico despite the president's rhetoric. The purpose was declared to be this. Quote, We're ushering in new leadership and there is a vital strategic interest for the state of California for continued economic growth on both sides of the border. With collaboration and cooperation that benefits both California and Mexico, regardless of Washington's lack of leadership, said Senator Kevin DeLeon, the former Senate leader who authored California Sanctuary State Law, quote, a lot of folks view foreign policy through the prism of Washington, D.C. However, because California is the fifth largest economy in the world, and because we share a border with our neighbor to the south, we have many shared interests. Whew. It's a long article. But a scathing article because it, it does beg the question, what is Gavinism doing in El Salvador? Well, the article talks about it. He's trying to figure out what are the root causes of migration from Salvador up into the U.S. and specifically into California. I don't know if he's trying to figure out how to fix it, which doesn't seem like that. He, there's only two reasons why he'd go down there to try and figure out what is the root cause of that. And that's either he wants to figure out how to fix it so people stay in El Salvador or he's trying to figure out how he can get more people to come up from El Salvador. And I would go with the latter. Now, I'm not sure how that's gonna how that reads with a lot of people. And I don't know if a lot of people in California are paying attention to this, to the fact that he's going down to El Salvador, Central American country, which sends a lot of migrants up through caravans, and is basically coming down there and saying, what can we do to help your migration problem? On our tax dollars, the governor of California is going down to a Central American country that sends a lot of, one, it sends a lot of remittances down to El Salvador, and two, it sends a lot of migrants back up. And like we've said, they're not sending the doctors or the lawyers or the scientists. They're sending the lower classes of people who then work and send all their money back. So you have a governor who is on your tax dollars going to a foreign country and basically drumming up more migration to California, more illegal migration to California. And California citizens who are paying and footing the bill for the free health care, for the driver's licenses, for the insurance, for all of this stuff. We just have to sit back and enjoy it because that's what Governor Newsom wants. You're expendable. He doesn't care about you. Just keep paying your taxes like a good little uh, peasant under the rule of, of Governor Newsom, under his, his high, his honor or uh, his royal highness, Governor Newsom, Governor Newsom, the king of California. Just keep paying your lot. And don't ask questions, because if you do, well, then you're a racist and you're a bigot. These people are here for a better life, obviously. Forget the people who came to California. They followed their dreams. They followed the mantra, go west, young man, to go find your gold. 
Forget that mantra that American citizens come to California because they want to find a better life because they want to come to the one of the nicest states in the country. Forget that whole idea. The people who can't afford ha- affordable housing, who pay exorbitant amounts at the gas pump, and some lower classes have to decide between do they want to pay for gas or do they want to pay for food on the table this week. Forget the fact that there's higher sales tax. We f- forget the fact that we have higher income tax. Forget the fact that our roads and infrastructures are falling apart and that our schools are failing far behind everybody else. The root cause, according to Gavin Newsom, is we got to go to El Salvador and figure out why they have a migration problem and how we can help. That's his goal. And he's flying all over the world on our tax dollars. That $18 billion, $20 billion surplus, that is going to be gone so fast under Gavin Newsom. We're gonna, we would be begging for Governor Moonbeam after a couple of years of Gavin Newsom flying all over the world doing what he's doing to this, to this state. And this is why and people are this is why people in California are getting really, really frustrated. This is why you should be getting frustrated if you're listening to this podcast. Because you work hard, you want to put a better you want to provide for your family, you want to get a better life. You want to be able to afford a little bit of a home with maybe some yard. And then you look at the governor and his top priority in the first couple months of his governorship is to fly off to some foreign country in Central America and ask how we can help with their migration problem. There is about 10 things ahead of helping uh, illegal immigrants coming to California, as I've listed uh, uh, several of them. Why we don't have affordable housing? Why does it cost a million dollars to buy a normal home, a normal two-bedroom, two-bath home in a suburb anywhere close to a city? Why does it cost almost $4 for our gas when our roads and infrastructure are crumbling? I thought the gas tax was supposed to be to help the infrastructure of this state, and I guess it's not. You're going to find out soon what, what's going on with that gas tax and where all that money's going. Because I can tell you right now, if you're driving around any city in California, there's going to be a chance that you hit a pothole so big that your car's going to get swallowed up and you might never get seen again. Driving around here in San Diego, yeah, there's, there's a lot of potholes. It's a nice city. What could be causing such destruction of the infrastructure? But that's Governor Newsom's whole priority when he comes to California. It's not you, the normal people. He thinks that people are just going to sit here and we're just going to pay our taxes and we're just going to be fine with it. That the wealthiest of us are just going to keep put, footing the bill for everything and they're going to keep paying into it. But like I've said before on this podcast, if you lose that top percent, those wealthiest of people, and you start to lose them, this state's going belly up faster than you can say it. We won't be able to, without the wealthiest here, you won't be able to fund these little pet projects. Like money for attorneys, for illegal immigrants, for health care, 
the idea that he wants to bring in single-payer health care for everybody, regardless of whether you're a citizen or not, should scare the absolute crap out of you. If that's not a red-light beacon to everybody in the world to come rush into California, then I, I mean, then I don't know what else is. The only thing that'd be better is that California says, well, now we're going to have a UBE and it doesn't matter if you're a California citizen or not. We're going to give everybody a universal basic income. And nobody's paying. I don't see this anywhere. You don't see anybody talking about this. That's the sad thing. In California, there's not a lot of people who talk about this. And if they are, they're very small they're very small uh, voices. And we need to talk about this stuff. We can't have papers that gloss over this stuff. We can't have papers that just are obsessed with what's going on in Washington, D.C. Yes, national news is very exciting, which is why I do national news on this show. But there's stuff like this that gets buried and not talked about. And nobody knows what's going on. And before they know it, it's a frog in boiling water. You're dead. Because you haven't been paying attention to the California politics. You haven't been paying attention to the stories. And things get worse and worse and worse. And you wake up and there's potholes everywhere. And there's homeless encampments. And homes are a million dollars just for a two-bedroom, two two-bath somewhere. That's what happens. we got to talk about this stuff. We need to organize people to talk about this stuff, to bring up these issues, to bring light to these issues in a better way. And this podcast is just one start. There's a lot of ways you can do it. You can get involved in your local politics or you can get involved with your local parties. I urge you, the people who are listening to this podcast are smart enough. Spread the word. Tell people about this stuff. And that's another hard thing in California is to speak up about this stuff. I know it's hard for me to go to any party and not just, you know, and wonder, can I bash Governor Noose about this party without getting ostracized? But you got to start speaking up. Not in a combative way, not in a way that, that puts people on edge. We got to spread the word. Bring this stuff up wherever you are. Look, read these articles. You can find them. They're all over the place. The more informed we are, the better we are to figure out how we can fix this and f- fix how we're going forward. Because if we don't, sooner or later, you're going to look up and say, whoa, what's this new tax? Well, you weren't paying attention and it it passed the legislature or you weren't paying attention and everyone voted on it. It starts with a couple people knowing what's going on. They start spreading the word. They start speaking up. Don't be afraid to speak up is another. Do not be afraid to speak up and spread the word. And so with that. Uh, We're going to close out this episode, another episode of the California Underground Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you like it, subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends, share it on social media, spread the word, tell people about this podcast because people need to hear the stories that are coming out of this podcast. 
They need to start the discussions. They need to find, we need to start working together and figuring out how we can turn this state around. And like I always say at every episode, I want to hear from everybody. I want to hear from people who listen to this show. California Underground at ProtonMail.com. Check it out. And then also uh, anchor.fm slash California Underground. From there, you can uh, leave a voice message. So it's like you're calling in, which I think would be a cool feature. No one's done it yet, but I think it'd be a cool feature if you want to call in, leave a voice message, ask me to talk about something. So yeah, check it out, California Underground at ProtonMail.com. We're on Instagram, California Underground, anchor.fm slash California Underground. We have articles on CaliforniaUnderground.wordpress.com. There's a lot going on. Spread the word, subscribe, like, and review, and that's it for today. And uh, I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 